ask you to bless this time, bless us as we study your word, guide us and lead us into what we need to find from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, the first half of chapter 16, David had said he wanted to build God a temple, and he was telling Nathan this. Nathan said, go ahead and do whatever's in your heart. Nathan went home, and God said, go back to David and tell him this message, that no, you're not going to build my kingdom, you're not going to build my uh, a temple for me. I never asked for one, and you're, you're not the one that's going to do it. But he then said, but I will make you a great uh, dynasty. Your son will reign, and your sons will reign forever. And that's kind of where we left it off with the, you can't build my temple, but your son will, and you will have a dynasty. Now we're going to look at David's response to that in 1 Chronicles 16, starting at verse 22, uh, 23. Sing unto the Lord all the earth, show forth from day to day his salvation. Declare his glory among the heathens, his marvelous works among the nations. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Glory and honor are in his presence. Strength and gladness are in his place. Given to the Lord, you kindreds of people. Given to the Lord, glory and strength. Given to the Lord, glory, do his name. Bring an offering and come before him and worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear him before him all the earth. The world also shall be stable and it, shall, and it be not moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let men... I lost my place. And let men say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the fields rejoice in all that is therein. Let the tree, then shall the trees of the wood sing out in the presence of the Lord, because he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. And, and say you, save us, save us, O Lord, our Savior, and gather us together and deliver us from the heathen, that we may give thanks to your holy name and get glory in your, in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel forever and ever. And all the people said amen and praise the Lord. All right. So here is David's prayer. The first half of his prayer we started on, he was giving praise to, to the God that created him. And now he's just giving praise. David went before the Lord in, in the beginning of this uh, section. And it said he, he went and he sat before the Lord to pray and he gave thanks to God that God was going to make him a, a great nation and here he is now continuing in this prayer uh, where he's saying sing unto the Lord all the earth show forth from day to day his salvation I love this idea do we really want to give God praise how often do we sing to God is it only when we come to church or do we sing praises to God? Because God tells us all through the Old Testament to sing praises to him. David gives us all these things, say, sing praises. I love to just give choruses and, and sing, sing just a chorus, a snatch of a, of a hymn or something. Uh, and it just, it refreshes me to just lift up God's name and, and focus on him for a while. 
and you don't need to go through the whole chorus. You don't have to go through the whole song. Maybe, maybe all you remember is five words to the song, you know, and it just, do you sing praises? Do you concentrate on God and his glory? You know, and this is something God is always asking us. He says, remember, meditate, sing. You know, uh, so we need to be able to meditate before God, just to be coming before God and meditating on, on him. And meditation is not what it says, you know, what we think of from the Eastern mysticism where it says empty your mind and, and make yourself an empty shell. That is asking for trouble because Satan will fill that empty shell, the, the, the no thoughts, he'll fill them real fast. Yeah. Yep. Well, God's meditation is to think upon his word yeah. and to think upon him. And literally, it means to, to mumble as you're, as you're thinking about what's going on. And so we are to praise God. We are to meditate on him. And this is what David is doing here. He says, I want to praise God uh, and show forth from day to day his salvation. Then he goes on, declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all nations. I like this idea. Do we declare God among the heathen? Or do we stop and the only people we talk about God to is other Christians because we don't want other non-Christians to think we're crazy. I love being able to tell people, you know what God did. Look at what God did. And you get these strange looks. What do you mean God you know, what do you mean God did that? This is what David is saying. Declare among the heathen what God has done. Let them know that God is active in your life, that he is doing things. And get those strange looks. Get those people, you know, thinking about God. Even if it's negative, at least they're thinking about God. And you know, so he goes, tell them, and his marvelous works amongst all the nations. And then why? For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. I love this. This is a theme in, the, in this psalm so often. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Do we praise God because of his greatness? Too many times as Christians and believers, the only time we ever go to God is when we need something. God, I need, or I'm praying for people who need. All through the scriptures, it says, give God praise. And even in our prayer guide, we have acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. We need to be adoring God, giving him, great, uh, giving him uh, praise. That's the first step. Do we truly adore God for all that he's doing for us? You know, and just imagine, you know, if you have a friend or, or children and all the time, the only time they ever talk to you, uh, dad, I need, you know, friend, I need. You, oh, well, you mean you wanted me to talk to you some other time as well? Just give me. And how many of us treat God that way? God, I need, I, I want you know, maybe we're being really good. God, they need, they, they want. But you know, God says all through the scriptures, give him glory. He's a great God. He, he deserves the praise that we give him. And our prayers should start with, 
are adoration. Now, I have said many times the word rather than acts would probably be cats, because C is for confession. Do, we probably should confess our sins before we even do adoration to God. But do we go before God and confess? God, I have made mistakes. I have sinned. I am placing them before you and asking for forgiveness. And those, that, those kind of prayers should be very specific. God, I have done such and such. When I'm done giving them the things I can remember, and God, for anything else I can't remember, I put those at your feet as well. And then thanksgiving. How unthankful are we to God in many cases? God meets all of our needs. God meets everything about what were for us. You know, just getting up in the morning should be something to be thankful for because we could have died in our sleep. And we have this opportunity to just say, thank you. Then we can come to him with our supplications, our needs, and other people's needs. And here's David saying, praise him because great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Is this truly our attitude toward God that he is great? Hopefully it is. How do I act on that picture of his greatness? Do I take it for granted? Do I praise him? Do I stand before him and just praise him? I've said many times, when I get to heaven, I can, I can think that maybe the first uh, millennia or so, just standing before the throne and, and giving thanks could be a great thing to do. And I don't think I'd get tired of that. If I get tired of giving him thanks, then I'll go into some, some adoration. <laughs> you know, uh, there won't be any needs there, so I won't have any of the other parts. I won't have had any sins. But can you imagine to be able to stand before God and just look at his face Thank you that I'm even here. Thank you, you died so that I could be here because I didn't deserve this. I deserve to be in hell with all the others that went there. Is our attitude toward God one of thankfulness and praise? It should be. And here's David. David just got the news, I'm going to make you a dynasty. And he goes, and immediately he goes into praising God. And he goes into... He is to be feared above all other gods. You're going to note that small g because there aren't any other gods but him. Uh, For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. God is the creator. He created the heavens and the earth and the heavens of heaven. So he is creator of all things. This is the beauty of our God. He is not just a myth. He is a real person who has done real things. He created the heavens and the earth. And David here is saying, God, you have done this. You are the creator of heaven. So in this case, he's talking about where God dwells. So, and you know, so we need to understand God created our world, our physical world. He created the heavens where the angels are in, and he's above and beyond that. We think of him as, in, as dwelling in heaven, but heaven can't contain him. Heaven itself cannot contain God. He is a beyond all of, God, all of that. And David here is saying, God, you created the heaven, the heavens. You created, he could have said the earth and the heavens. And we need to be able to understand, how big is your God that you worship? 
And I've said to this many times, no matter how big you think you, he is, you're too small. Because he's infinitely large, infinitely powerful. So whatever you think God is, you're not there. I've got a very big God over, and it's taken me 50 years to get him there, but he's still too small even by my thoughts. You know, and I know that he's too small because I know that he's going to show me how big he is and that I'm not even close to how big he is. I'm not close to how infinite he is. I'm not close to how all-knowing he is. Because you know, we figure, what does it mean to be all-knowing? Well, you, well, it means to know all things. Well, as soon as you start trying to define what all things are, you're putting a limit on it. And he knows all things, and as I've said, you know, tongue-in-cheek in many cases, in heaven I think we're going to be learning, and we, when we learn everything there is to know about God, he'll just create more things for us to learn. Because he's infinite. He's so much more than what he's created. And it's an amazing thing that what God has created in this world, we're starting to learn as we're getting more scientific knowledge that what he created is so much more than we ever knew. We're starting to know that he put patterns in infrared light in, 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 uh, in, uh, in the scope of light that we can't see. He put patterns and, and designs and beauty in those other spectrums of the light that we're just now starting to be able to see. And God created them from the beginning. And we're just now learning about what he's created. We're getting deep enough into the ocean that we're starting to see things that God put there 6,000 years ago that we're just now discovering. God knew what we would learn. He knew what we would see. He put beauty in the moons around the planets that are just phenomenal. If you've studied astronomy and you've looked at the moons and, and the colors and all the stuff that we have found in them and go, God, you put all of this out there so that we could learn about it in the 20, 20th and 21st century? You know, for 6,000 years, they didn't know anything about it. Now that we know how to see these things, we're going, wow, look. You know, we should, what they should be saying is, look what God has done. Look at all the beauty and what God has put out there for us. And so we have all of this going on. He says, you, built, you, you, you made the heavens. Glory and honor are in his presence. Strength and gladness are in his place. What a beautiful statement. Glory and honor. Glory means splendor. Do you realize how splendorous God's beauty is? When they built the tabernacle on, at Mount Sinai, God's splendor came down on it, and it was so bright that nobody could look at it. Moses spent time with God on Mount Sinai, and and he came back from Mount Sinai and the splendor of God shone off of him so much that his skin shone. He's going to, when Solomon builds the temple, he's going to come down upon it and nobody could enter it in because his glory and his splendor filled the temple. Do we have a picture of God that is too weak? You know, we actually have this real pro problem with God because... We go, Jesus, you, you saved us. We can walk into God's presence, and we can, but we forget about his splendor and his holiness and his righteousness, which is just amazingly, phenomenally bright and, and un, unapproachable. When, even when we come before him, we're actually seeing Jesus and not the Father. 
the father says, no one can see me. He told Moses, no one can see my face. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. I'll cover it. You can see my backside, but you cannot see my face. And this is what is our attitude toward God. How much do we see God in his splendor and the glory that he deserves? And not too often, I'm sure. I know I don't. But here we say, and see him in his glory. Uh, he says, give to the Lord's uh, strength and gladness are in his place. God is strong. He is glad. We come before him in his strength and his gladness. This is the beautiful thing about him. God is so great. And here's David praising him in the middle of this book. You know, and I just want to lift up. They could see what David was seeing when he talked about God with his splendor and his glory. He says, give unto the Lord, you kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering. Come before them. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So here's David said, give to the Lord. Give what? Because we have nothing that God needs. We have nothing that God you know, has any need of. He is completely sufficient in himself. But David says, give unto the Lord glory and strength. So give him splendor. He's dwelling in splendor. God says, lift him up. Lift him up. Give God glory. Give him the splendor. What happens when we do this is we start seeing God differently. God, you're so wonderful. Look at all the creation that you've done. God, you are so much above us. You are so much above all things. God, you are so wonderful. And people go, well, does God need that? No, we need it. We need those kind of words to lift up our elevation of our thoughts of God. Because we need to be lifting God up in his splendor in our words. Not that he needs to be lifted up. He's, he is God, whether we admit it or not. He's God, whether people admit it. It is fun witnessing somebody, well, I don't believe in God. That doesn't change the fact that God's there. Well, I'm not sure about that. It does, your, your doubts do not change the truth. Well, I don't even believe, I don't even believe in, that there's an absolute truth. That doesn't change the fact that there's absolute truth. You know, our answers are simple. People may not like our answers, <laughs> But you know, Christianity has answers to all that's going on. Why is there trouble in the world? Because man sinned. And God is pouring out anger upon man's sin. Well, I don't like that answer. I don't care if you like that answer. That's what God says. It is truth. God is truth. He gives us. Well, where did man come from? God created him. Well, I don't believe in that. Doesn't matter. God created man. Creation fits this, the evidence better than, than man's idea of evolution and we can be able to lift up God. Our job is real simple. Do I lift up God before people? If I'm lifting them up, it does not matter whether they believe it or even like it or hate it. Doesn't matter. My job is simple. God, look what God has done. Well, I don't know that I believe God. Look what God has done. Well, I'm not sure. Look what God has done. And we need to be able to lift him up keep him before people and keep him before our eyes in a high level because we can get so familiar with God because we deal with him every day we deal with his word and we can make it so that he were just so that he's commonplace to us and we don't want to get
them to be commonplace to him. Many times, and I've said this before, many times God blesses us and blesses us and blesses us, and we get so used to the blessings that we forget that they're blessings. This is what happened to the children of Israel in the wilderness. For 40 years, every morning there was manna on the ground. It got to the place, especially, let's, let's say you were born during the time that manna's falling down. Manna is the only thing that you've ever seen. Every morning there's manna out there. You don't know what it means to not have manna on the ground. Those people took it for granted in most cases. Because the, older, the elders were going, well, yeah, God provides this every morning. They go, what do you mean God provides it every morning? It's there every morning. What do you mean it's God? You know, I've never seen a time when it's not there. They got so used to it that they would just get to the place where that's normal. We want to be careful that we never take God's blessings for granted because he might just pull them away to show us that they're blessings and not, not normals. My own, my own word. All right. Uh, so he says, Give unto the Lord the glory, do his name, bring an offering, come before him, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And beauty here is, is the holy adornments. It's the idea of what the priest wore before, before they came in. And he's saying, give. Give unto the Lord. And then he says, even bring an offering. Bring an offering before God. Now, we can bring an offering of praise. We can bring an offering of material offering to God. We, God just says, come before him. Give to him. Uh, help him, you know, meet him. Then he goes in verse 30, Fear before him all the earth. The world also shall be stable, that it be not moved. I like this idea that he's saying the earth shall be stable. And for the most part, the earth is stable. But every once in a while, God rocks it with earthquakes, with all kinds of trembling. And it's only going to get worse as we get closer to, to our judgment that's coming very soon. And, you know, we've talked about this many times. We are close to the last days. Now, people will go, well, you Christians have been saying that for 2,000 years. And we are closer today than we were 2,000 years ago. And we look at the evidence, and I'm saying we are very close. Could it be 100 years, 200 years still? Yes, but I don't think so. I think when I look around and people are doing what's right in their own eyes, they're saying that there's no truth, they're denying the existence of God, and they are living in sins that have been judged in the past, I believe that God is sitting on the throne saying, there's just a few more days, there's just a couple more years, I'm coming, We're bringing, I'm taking my church, and there's be seven years of tribulation, get ready. We need to be looking up. Jesus said, when you see these things happening, look up. Your redemption draws nigh. We need to be looking up and saying, God, is it today? What do I need to do to help get this taken care of? Uh, Because the last thing we want to do is have a friend or a relative left behind during the tribulation period. When we're taken out and we're in heaven and they're left behind to suffer because they probably will take the mark of the beast. Most people during that tribulation are going to take the mark of the beast. There will be a few that don't, but most are going to take that mark of the beast and it's going to seem totally logical. 
Well, of course I got to take the mark of the beast. I want to eat, I want to work, I want to be taken care of by the government, because at that time that's what's going to be going on. And we're already seeing it in today's world, the people want to be taken care of by the government. Well, uh, the government will take care of me, I don't have to work, I can just sit on my butt all day long and the government will pay me a check. And our government is talking about giving everybody a check just because they're alive. Universal income, basically going into communism and socialism. Now, those aren't free. They start out free, but then they start saying, oh, we've been giving you money. Now you're going to do the work we tell you to do. You're now a ditch digger. Well, I don't want to dig ditches. We don't care. We've been giving you money for a period of time. Now you're going to do what we tell you to do. You're going to be a taxi cab driver. You're going to be an orderly. You're going to be... You know, whatever it is that they need or want, and you're going to have nothing to say because the government basically owns you. They are buying their slaves. And they don't like hearing that term, but that's really what they're doing. They are enslaving the population so that they can now then turn around and say, hey, we've been paying you so long, now you get to do this. And we own you. And you owe us. And so all of this is going to happen And during the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to demand service and worship. And people are going to be used to doing it. And it's not going to be, it's not going to seem hard to them to to worship the Antichrist. And we look here that he says, you know, fear before him, the world will be saved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let men say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Oh, don't I wish this was where we were at in our world. This won't happen again until probably the millennial kingdom. Now, could we have a revival where people say the Lord reigns? It's possible. I'm not expecting one. I pray for one. I want to see it. But I think we're so close to the end times that I don't see this happening until Jesus reigns in the millennial kingdom. I would love to see a great revival. This country used to say the Lord reigns. The Lord is in charge. We haven't done that in a long time in America. We have been throwing God out of everything and making it so that he is not lifted up. And this is a sad state for our nation. Our nation deserves to be judged and will be judged sooner than later. And we need to understand, without revival, this is where we're headed. But I'd love it. David is saying, my nation's going to say, the Lord reigns. And he was planning to lift that up. And over the years of David's reign, there had a handful of kings that came in and said, we're going to live for God. We're going to say the Lord reigns. We're going to build up the temple. We're going to bring you, bring you back to where you are. We're going to destroy the, the idols. And we're going to have the Lord reigns in revival. Now, none of those were long-term revivals. And unfortunately, because of the sinful nature of man, Most revivals are not long-lived. We've seen two great awakenings in America where God turned this nation upside down with Christianity. And then people fell away within, within a short period of time. 50, 60 years, they fell back to their sin. During the Jesus movement, we had a start to a great revival. Didn't completely turn this nation upside down, but it did make some impact. Uh, back through the 60s and 80s when, when everybody was going crazy, we also had Jesus moving during that period of time. 
and it was the Jesus movement, and people were getting saved left and right, and it looked like we were going to have a great revival. And we had a big revival, but it didn't totally change our country completely. It changed certain places where it hit an impact, but not like the, the great revival in the 1800s and the really big revival at the, uh, in the 1700s that led into the formation of our country. We had two great revivals and a third one that almost was a great revival. But we've seen all of this happening and God moving. Is it possible to see another big revival? It's possible. I'd like to see it. I just don't know. I think we're so close to the end times that I don't really expect a great revival to occur out of this. He goes on, and I love this one. Uh, in verse 32, he says, Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the fields rejoice in all that is therein. Let the trees of the woods sing out at the presence of the Lord because he comes to judge the earth. I can almost picture this, the earth praising God. Jesus told the Pharisees, they said on the triumphant entry, stop these people from praising you. And Jesus said, if they stop, the rocks themselves will, will give praise. I can almost picture, because there is more to nature than we understand in our scientific world. Nature fell with the fall of man. It became it became not evil in itself, but bad things happening. We got storms. We've got floods. We have thorns and thistles that weren't there before. We have all this. We have death coming into the picture. All because of man's fall. And we can't even, we're so used to this fallen world that we can't even picture what a perfect world would have been like. No death. No disease. No weeds. No storms that, that take life, no hurricanes, tornadoes, all these other things that, that are the result of the fall. And we eventually will get there again on the new heaven and the new earth when we have our glorified bodies. And I believe that the millennial kingdom will have most of that stuff taken away because it says that it will be, people will live to be a thousand years old again. Uh, that people, that the lion and the lamb will lie together, that the children will play on the ass nest and not be bidden. So there will be a restoring of the way it was before Adam and Eve fell. Not with perfection because man still will have sin, but there will be a restoration of what it's supposed to have been like. And we will be coming in our glorified bodies to help reign during that period of time. So we will reign with Christ during that period of time of the millennial kingdom. Because we will come back with him in the, at the, when he returns on the second coming on horses behind him. You know, now, that battle is, we don't do anything to win the battle. Jesus just speaks and the battle's over. And that's all that happens. What a powerful king we follow. The entire world gathered the world to stand against him. And he speaks and the, and the battle's over. That's a lot of power. You know, I don't know how many millions are going to die in that battle, but he just speaks, and they're gone at the end of that battle. And so we see how powerful is our God. Where would I look uh, for that short uh, transitionary between the millennium and coming back? Uh, we're still down here, 
in an instant we are taken into, or we are raptured for the seven-year tribulation period, we will enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb during that period of time. At the end of the seven years, this will be toward the end, end part of, of Revelation primarily, uh, we will return with Christ to reign with him during the millennial kingdom. At the end of the millennial kingdom, Satan will raise up an army in Knights Genesis, eight, uh, Genesis, Revelation 18, 19, 20, somewhere in that, in there. Satan will raise up an army to go against Jesus. He'll speak, it'll be over, uh, the last big battle. God will take and have the white throne judgment where all of the world who doesn't know him will be judged and sent to hell. Death and Hades will be, sent, uh, will be placed into hell. Uh, the fallen angels will be, fallen, uh, will be cast into, not hell, excuse me, the lake of fire. Because Just a couple of verses. Okay, that's yeah, you really have to read it carefully to see all of these things because then you have to take the rest of the Bible to put all the rest of the, the pieces yeah. together. As far as we know, seven phys physical, actual. The world could not handle more than seven years of Satan trying to destroy it. And God pouring out his wrath on it. Seven years with, there, just in the book of Revelation, we see 66% of the population dying from what we're told. It couldn't take much, it wouldn't, it couldn't, it, the world could not take more than seven literal years and we will go to heaven for seven years, have a marriage supper of the Lamb, and come back with him onto earth. And the marriage supper of the Lamb is only one verse two, one or two verses. So really, we take the verses in, in Revelation and we add them to the rest of the prophetic words, which is why prophecy is a hard book to study because it's scattered everywhere uh, for us to be able to put everything together for the end times which also means that there is room for error. All right, there are certain things we know. There will be seven years of tribulation. We know that we are taken and we will have the marriage supper of the Lamb and a Jewish wedding ceremony was one week long where they would have a feast for a week and then the consummation of the marriage and the marriage was over. So we know that the marriage supper of the Lamb matches the seven-year tribulation period. Even when we read about the new heaven and new earth, it talks about the tree of life giving fruit in its seasons. There is some form of time in heaven. What it is, we don't know. How we interact with it, we don't know. Uh, but we will not grow old, we will not die, so time will become irrele irrelevant to us. Um, you know, is it twice as long, a hundred times as long, a thousand times? You know, we don't know. But there's indications that even in the new heaven and new earth, there is some form of time. So we, but we will be timeless at the same time because we, we will not die. <laughs> we don't know that is 
Because I've thought about that many times. What body would I like? Would I like my 20-year-old body that was in shape when I was skinny and, uh, and in shape and all that? Or, you know, do I want the more mature body that, you know, I don't even, but the question is, will we even have a physical body as we know it? Because we don't know. We don't know what kind of body we'll, we will have. All we know is it'll be a perfect body. But we know that Jesus had a body, so we'll be able to take a bodily form because Jesus, in his resurrected body, came and saw the disciples and they recognized him. He could eat dinner. He could, uh, you know, he could walk through walls with that glorified body. He could eat. Uh, so we don't know exactly what it is. We know that we will have something. We're not just disembodied spirits floating around. We will have a body because Jesus had a body. But what will be different about that body? Jesus appeared in a locked room with his glorified body. He just walked through the walls and yet he could eat. And the food you couldn't see go through. Yeah, it didn't just fall through like a ghost or anything. You know, he ate food. So what does this mean for us in our glorified bodies? I don't know. <laughs> the Bible does not give us a picture of what we're going to look like, how we're going to behave, what age we'll be. What... He does tell us that we will know each other. We will know each other as we are known, which means in reality, not, who, not the face that we put on for everybody to see. We will know. So that anybody who knew me when I was young will know me, whatever, whatever my body looks like, will know me in heaven. All you that know me as an older person will know me no matter what my body looks like in heaven. So we don't know. And this is the, it's one of those exciting things. It's a mystery. We don't know what it's going to be like when we enter heaven. Uh, but anyway, we're back to nature praising God. I wonder if nature praises God now and we just can't hear it. It would be an amazing thing. Does nature praise God and we don't hear it out there? Because God talks about nature, the, the trees sing. Now I can picture the trees and the plants, you know, they wave, you know, they wave in the wind and they rustle. I can picture a rock. I can't picture a rock praising God, and yet Jesus said the rocks would cry out if they were silent. How much praise is God getting that we can't hear? Does nature praise God? It says in the New Testament that nature groans for the redemption. It's groaning for the new heaven and new earth. God hears that groaning, I believe, even though we don't. So I think God hears things that we don't understand, and if we found a way to record it, we'd be blown away. What did God tell Cain when his brother was, was slain? The, blood, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me. I've also often wondered, what noise does blood make when it dies? You know, that God heard the crying out. And think how much blood has been shed incorrectly over the years. If God was bothered by Cain, uh, Abel's blood crying out, how much racket is there to God when millions of babies are aborted? Millions of people are killed in violent crimes. All their blood crying out to God, give us justice. Give us justice. What noise God must be hearing every day that we live, every hour, every minute. You know, 
that it cries out to him. Verse 34, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. I love this. His mercy, his kindness endures forever. Even when he's at the white throne judgment, sending people into the lake of fire, which is what they've asked for, I can picture God saying, I was being so merciful to you. I gave you every opportunity and you rejected. I almost picture God crying at the throne of of heaven, at the white throne judgment. I'm giving you what you want, but you you didn't have to go there. I sent Jesus to, to keep you from going there. I gave witnesses over and over and over to keep you from going there, and you chose to reject. And it says, my mercies are, would have been there for you. And at the white throne judgment, it's too late for people to ask for repentance because at that time, they know God is real, and they know they're guilty, and there is no turning back from that. At the white throne judgment, every knee that doesn't want to bend its knee to God will bend their knee and call him Lord, including Lucifer. Lucifer will be made to bend and call him Lord before he's cast into the lake of fire. Now, we will willingly call him Lord. You know, we we're calling him Lord now. We will willingly and gratefully call him Lord. But at the white throne judgment, everybody who rejected him will call him Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Revelation. Everyone. Even the one, the most ardent one that did not want to recognize him as Lord is going to bow and call him Lord. And that would be Lucifer. So we have this going on and it says he's coming Verse 35 says, And say, Save us, O God, of our salvation, and gather us together, deliver us from the heathen, that we may give thanks unto your holy name, and glory in your praise. Blessed be the name, blessed be the Lord God of Israel forever and ever. And all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. David is lifting up God and said, Save us. You are our salvation. We as Christians recognize he is our salvation. We would not get heaven otherwise. And he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel forever and ever. And he says, all the people said, amen. And amen literally means let it be so, or so be it. And amen is a Hebrew word. So every time you're ending your prayers and you're saying amen, you're saying a Hebrew word. And it just means let it be so, or so be it. And it says, all the people, all the people. He went to the temple and he's been sitting before the temple and obviously he's not being quiet in his praise to God. He's drawn a crowd. And this is the first time we've seen a crowd in this whole verse. And it says, all the people said, amen. They've been listening to him. They're listening to their king give praise to God. Oh, don't I wish we had presidents and senators and everybody that would give praise to God to really honor God and lift him up. It has been a long time since we've had politicians that praised God and gave him honor. We need it again. We need to, especially as Christians, take it. Our very first stance should be, is this person a believer in God that will stand for God? And if they're not, we shouldn't vote for them. Plain and simple. 
And I'm not talking about these place, people that say they believe in God and live exactly opposite of God. We, we don't have very many politicians that truly believe in God. We have a lot of them that say they're Christians. And you look at their life and saying, well, you sure can't prove it by your life. You sure can't prove it by your voting record. And we need to be able to go back to the 1700s belief that if these people weren't Christians, they did not deserve to run our country. We are getting what we deserve. We are voting for people that are not Christians, do not have Christian stance, and then we wonder why we don't get good government. We need to take a stand and say, no, I cannot vote for this person you know, uh, because they are not a Christian. In the 1700s, every, every state had an oath of belief in God to be able to take an office written into their constitutions. Every state. And in the 1800s, the Supreme Court said it was illegal and they had to take it out. Now, does that mean we go against the government? No, we're going to pray for the government. We're going to obey the, the laws of the land as they come in, unless they go against God. If they are absolutely against God, then we can have the right to go against them. And as I've said, going against the laws that are against God does not exempt us from the punishment for violating the law. And nowhere in the New Testament did you see them saying, God, you know, we ought to obey God rather than men. Well, we're going to beat you. Nope, can't do that. I'm obeying God. No, they submitted themselves to the beating for disobeying man's laws. And then God brought judgment upon the people for, the, for, that, for that act. So you cannot expect just because I'm saying I'm obeying God rather than man, I can do what I want and you can't punish me. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. God ordained the government. Even when it's telling us to do things that are against him and we choose not to, we are facing the discipline for it. This is one of the reasons I know that persecution's coming our way and there will come a time when Christians will be imprisoned when we stand for God. And it will happen because we're going to go against the government and what the government says because the government is going against God. And at that point, we will suffer the consequences of that action. All right. Verse 37. So he left there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, Asaph and his brethren, to minister before the Ark continually as, the, as every day's work required. And Obedom and their brethren, 68, Obedom also and his son, Jeduthun and Husa, to be porters, and Zadok the priest and his brethren the priest before the tabernacle of the Lord in, in the high place that was in Gibeon to, burn, to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord in the altar of the burnt offering continually morning and evening and to, and to do according to all that was written in the law of the Lord which he commanded Israel and with them Heman and Jeduthon and the rest that were chosen who were expressed by name to give thanks to the Lord because his mercy endures forever and with them, Heman and Jeduth, with trumpets and cymbals for those that should make a sound and with musical instruments of God. Then the sons of Jeduthim, porters, and all the people departed, every man to his house, and David returned to bless the Lord. And you know what? I'm teaching something that I have already taught. Well, we just had chapter 16, the second half, a second time. It didn't make any much sense because I didn't see David's praises for making him a kingdom. Anyway, we repeated chapter 16. <laughs> it wasn't you all, it was me. 
Well, I got to the end there and go, I've taught this before. So this, this was David's praise for bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Hopefully we learned something anyway about how we're supposed to praise God. So next week we will take David's praise for his, for his kingdom. Because I kept looking for David's praise for being, being kingdom. I'm going, this isn't making any sight. So I threw my wrong notes away, I think. So, all right, let's close in prayer. It's good that your pastor is totally confused today. <laughs> Not the first time. <laughs> Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for how much you love us and care for us. Lord, maybe we just needed to learn about your praise and how to glorify your name again. We just thank you for all of this. And we just thank you that even if we repeat it, it's not the end of the world and you're still in it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says... The penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us, so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10:9-8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.